It's time for Keeping Democracy Alive with Bert Cohen. Sometimes dreams change. You get new dreams in place of old dreams. And that has happened in Greece. Democracy may be coming back to Greece. Wow. People uh, uh, went to the cliff and looked over and decided to take the jump. They have gone with something completely new in something called Syriza a so-called radical left party in Greece. We're going to be talking about that on the first half of Keeping Democracy Alive. Uh, Our guest today is Mark Weisbrot, co-director of the Center for Economic and Policy Research in Washington. Mark, thanks for being with us once again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, he writes a column on economic and policy issues that's distributed to over 550 newspapers. His pieces have appeared in The Guardian, New York Times, Washington Post, L.A. Times, and many major U.S. newspapers. Mark Weisbrot appears regularly on national and local television and radio programs. He's also president of Just Foreign Policy. Alex Tsipras... The new prime minister of Greece, that has a nice ring to it, said democracy will return to Greece. He's just 40 years old. He's the youngest prime minister in 150 years. And for many Greek citizens, it was a leap into the unknown. But the January 25th election of the radical left Syriza could mark a historic turning point for other countries which still suffer economic hardship because of austerity policies imposed by the Western financial powers, uh, what uh, our guest today has called the economic autocracy of the Eurozone. Unemployment in Greece had topped 25%. Productive output was down 26%. Clearly, austerity did not work. In fact, it made things much worse. What was the rationale behind the German-led imposition imposition of austerity, Mark? Well, the theory was that, you know, Greece had a debt, which was in 2008 and 2010 when the first IMF agreement was signed. It was like 115% of GDP, which is high, but not... Uh, not necessarily uh, unsustainable, depending on what the interest rates are on that debt. And of course, they were very low while the eurozone was intact. And then they said, well, you know, you, in order to uh, pay off that uh, debt, reduce that debt, and inspire confidence among investors, it's important to have these austerity policies, which involve, you know, raising taxes and cutting spending and making a whole lot of uh, reforms, so-called reforms that the European authorities uh, wanted. And uh, so the idea would be that that would uh, restore confidence, attract investment, lower Mm. the interest rate on their borrowing, and uh, that would get them out of the debt crisis. And in fact, the opposite happened. Everything got worse. The economy shrank. Interest rates on their borrowing shot up. uh, And they went through one crisis after another, 
uh, for the last six years to the point where they now have a debt of more than 170, 170% of uh, GDP. They lost a quarter of their output. Their unemployment is uh, nearly 26% and double that for youth. So that is, uh, that's basically what happened. Yeah, and it made things just, just much, much worse. And the people of Greece didn't have a say, it seems, over their own future. And people had talked about uh, Greece being occupied in the past by Germany. They didn't uh, forget that. And a lot of the uh, power and decision-making came from Germany, but it was also something they called the Troika. What is the Troika? How, how did that affect uh, realities on the ground among uh, the people of Greece? Well, the Troika is a, is a more specific name for what I'm referring to as the European authorities. The European Central Bank, which is like our Federal Reserve, only for it's for all the Eurozone countries. And the uh, European Commission, which is the governing uh, body for the European Union. And then there's the, um, the IMF, which was brought in to actually hammer out these uh, agreements with Greece, their loan agreements, even though the IMS supplied only a relatively small part of the money. And these became the essentially the governors of Greece. They decided mm. economic policy in the last uh, six years. And uh, so that's the fundamental problem. And that's why you have this uh, prolonged recession, not only in Greece, but in the Eurozone. Um, you know, I mentioned uh, several times that the when writing about this, that the key difference between the United States and Europe is that you know, as limited as our democracy is, with Wall Street having a veto over most uh, you know legislation that affects them, yeah. and uh, you know, a huge part of our population disenfranchised with very low voting rates and mm-hmm. everything else. We still have some, uh, you know, some input as an electorate. So even if Mitt Romney had been elected, uh, he wouldn't have done uh, things that you saw in the Eurozone because he would have wanted to be reelected. And yet in the Eurozone countries, more than uh, 20 governments have fallen, and they still proceeded with the, with the same policies. So that's the basic problem, is they lost the democratic control over their fiscal, their monetary policy, their exchange rate policy, and then ultimately for the weaker countries, their their fidget, fiscal policy to their budget policy, and that um, you know that that's what led to this disaster, and that's what you're seeing now is beginning to reverse with the election of the first left government that's serious about standing up to the European authorities. We are talking on Keeping Democracy Alive with Bert Cohen, with Mark Weisbrot, co-director of the Center for Economic and Policy Research in Washington and president of a group called Just Just Foreign Policy. Um, so the Troika, which has lent Greece a lot of money, uh, they have warned Greece that failure to repay its debts will carry, quote, consequences. What does that mean? What kind of consequences are they threatening? Well, ultimately, they're only, well, they can cut off lending uh, and force Greece into default, but that would be forcing them essentially out of the euro. And I don't think they want to do that, because if they do that, it's a crisis for them, because Greece would, well, 
Greece would probably recover faster than the rest of the Eurozone, uh-huh. and then other countries would want to leave. They would have a serious crisis at first, no doubt about it, and that's why the Syriza Party did not call for the, uh, you know, leaving the Euro, even though many people in that party, uh, including the leadership, know that that would probably be the best thing for Greece. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't advocate that because um, it's not where the electorate is right now, and the electorate doesn't want to go through something that gets worse before it gets better. Um, and so, but nonetheless, I, I think that they've got the bargaining power. I don't. I don't think the European authorities, including the Germans, really want to kick them out. I wouldn't think so, but. You know, now getting elected was was sort of the easy part. Now, now they have to govern. Syriza does. Can Greece? Can the new government of Greece do both? Keep the euro and break with austerity? Well, the austerity itself is mostly done. In other words, the budget cuts. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Those are mostly done. I and mean, austerity is used, I think, maybe too broadly often to encompass other effects, other reforms, like when they have these reforms like they've had in Greece and they're still trying to implement, where you uh, you weaken the bargaining power of labor by changing the laws. That's not exactly an austerity policy. That's a kind of a regressive social engineering of sorts. Um, but the, the budget cuts are mostly done. And going forward, the big problem, is first of all, uh, Syriza wants and the population wants to reverse a lot of the things that are done. The you know they laid off 161,000 mm. government workers, you know, which in the U.S. that would be like 30 times as much. And um, mm. you know, uh, so that's something they want to at least partially reverse. They cut the minimum wage enormously. They're going to reverse. They're proposing to reverse that. So they want to reverse uh, some of the worst things. They cut health care spending by 40% public share. Those are some of the things they want to change. And they also want, uh, most importantly perhaps, is the economy to grow fast enough so they can get right. some employment. You know, I mean, a lot more employment. Right now the economy is projected by the IMF if things go well according to their program. They'll still have 16% unemployment in 2018. That's just way too much. And so that's, uh, I think, what they're going to try and do. Now you're saying, well, can they do that and stay in the Eurozone? Right. And that's going to be up to the European authorities. Mm. Will they cut them off? Will they, you know, nah. uh, carry out their threats if hmm. Greece doesn't do what they want? That's the question. And... I think it's going to be some very tough bargaining. Hmm. It will. And how how different is Syriza from... I mean, there's been a, a socialist party in Greece for many, many years. How how different is Syriza from the old socialist parties? You mean PASOK, the one that was the largest party in Greece for for 40 years? Yes. Oh, I, 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 they have a lot of the same people. It has a lot of people who left... Uh, PASOK, which now only got uh, 6% hmm. of the vote in the last election. Um, and this is, a, this is a party that got more than 40% of the vote for decades. It was like the Democratic Party here. So how are they different? 
Sarisa from, from are they Pas- different? They're more left. I mean, they they split uh, mainly over this issue of the austerity and mm-hmm. the, and the, the rotten policies that have brought Greece to where it was. I mean, the Basak went along with it mm. uh, for whatever reason, probably because they felt they had no choice. The choice was leaving the euro, and they didn't feel they could get away with that. Um, I don't know. I don't want to really say why they did what they right. did, but the point is that uh, there were enough people in their party and outside of it uh, who said that, you know, we had to have a different path no matter what it takes. And that's who formed Syriza. And Syriza is young, and I don't know what the Greek word for chutzpah would be, but, but they got it. Uh, and And as I said, you know, they're in government now, and they want to bring the country to full or even reasonable levels of employment. The new government, as you say, will have to enact fiscal stimulus. How how can they enact fiscal stimulus now? Where where are they going to get the money? How can they do that? Can they do it? Well, one of the things they're demanding is debt cancellation. So if some right. of the debt is canceled and they don't have as much to pay off, you know, right now they're they're expected to run these uh, primary budget surplus, that means that, you know, you, you're running a surplus in your budget if you don't count interest rates uh, of something like 4% a year, you know, definitely maybe 5%. So um, this is very, very big, and it doesn't leave a lot of room for stimulus. So, yeah, right. so they want some debt cancellation. The European authorities have already offered to restructure maybe some uh-huh. of it, reduce uh-huh. some of the interest burden, mm-hmm. which they've already done in much worse than this, like a few years ago. Mm. So there's room. There's room for stimulus if they get. Uh, it's just a question of whether the European authorities are going to uh, allow them to do it because they're the creditors. And I think it's 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 definitely possible. We just did a paper showing one possible stimulus uh, program that they could do that would bring them to. Uh, you know, something close to full employment by 2019. Uh-huh. And um, well, instead of the 12.7% unemployment that, that, you know, the IMF is projecting. Oh. So it, it is, it's definitely possible. Uh, it's just going to be, as I said, a tough negotiation. I think it has important implications for all of Europe. Oh, yes. This is really a turning point for Europe. And I think there's things that we can learn from it here in the United States as well. Well, the effects on Europe, we have, uh, we spoke recently on keeping democracy alive about uh, Podemos in Spain, and there's, I guess, a similar uh, movement in Italy. It seems like uh, the southern European nations are being at effect of the northern European nations, the, the creditors uh, are lending the debtors. But the, the effects on, on Europe, there's concern, as you write, that Greece might leave the currency, which it sounds like they probably won't, and after weathering the flight of capital and initial crisis, recover much more quickly than the rest of Europe. Well, how, how does that affect the struggling nations of, of Spain and Italy, and how might the, uh, the northern nations of, of Germany in particular uh, uh, react to that if you know, it, it, it could be a big, big effect on Europe if they're successful. I wonder how important it is to the creditors that they not be successful. What are your thoughts on that, Mark Weisbrot? Well, that's the dilemma, right? I mean, you think of the creditors, and I don't like to think of it in terms of 
Germany versus Greece because if you, no matter what the public opinion polls show in Germany, if you ask people, you know, you know, should these countries suffer just to bail out the big banks, for example, if the polling questions were asked like that, mm. you know, or do you mm. want Greece to, you know, have to uh, give up all the things, uh, the welfare state that we have here in Germany? People wouldn't say yes to that. You know, they're making the media frames it as though these are just deadbeats who right. don't work hard. In fact, they work way more hours than they do in Germany. Hmm. Um, and they frame it in a way that inflames national prejudices, and then they get these polling results that say, you know, yeah, you know, we can't give them debt relief or whatever. So, um, but if you go beyond the superficial analysis that you see in a lot of, of the press, you know, you definitely have much more of a common interest here uh, in the recovery of Europe, including uh, for Germany. So that's kind of the direction. It's that's the direction that Theresa wants to take. It. If they win, uh, then uh, if they succeed, then Podemos has a, a much better chance in Spain. This is right. the party that didn't even exist like about a year ago, and right. now polling the first in, in, in Spain. So it is a dilemma for the European authorities, the right wing. Uh, of them as well, you know, the ones that have been dominating the policy for the past few years, they have to worry about that. So, yeah, they may want to just take a hard line. Some of them are going to say, well, we should crush this movement before it spreads. Right, right. Well, because yeah. if, I mean, they, I can't imagine them accepting a cancellation of the debt because that might be uh, a contagion that, that other guys say, well, you canceled the debt for Greece. What about uh, for us in Spain and, and for Well, Italy? they did cancel already. I mean, they have canceled about 50% of the private creditors, took a haircut about 50% of their debt a couple of years ago. So there's, they're just saying that that's all, that's enough. And uh, so, you know, of course... In the present environment of Europe, where inflation is so low that they actually have a threat of deflation, hmm. you know, they can cancel a lot of that. The European Central Bank is just like the Fed. They can create money. They mm-hmm. can create mm-hmm. the euro. Mm-hmm. The big difference is the Fed did this. You know, the Fed started this in 2008. They started their quantitative easing. Mm-hmm. And that made sure that we didn't have any our financial crisis. Uh, you know, last so they could do a it. few months, really, here. Mm-hmm. And and so uh, the European Central Bank and the European authorities could do ever, whatever they want to rescue Greece. And they don't want to do it uh, for reasons that I think most people don't understand. It isn't even so much they want everybody to pay their debts and set an example. Uh, they already violated that uh, principle with the haircut that the private creditors took. What they really want, if you look what the European uh, Commission and the authorities are saying right now, they're saying, yeah, okay, we'll give Greece some debt restructuring, we'll make your debt burden easier, we don't want another haircut, but there's other ways to reduce what you have to pay. Um, but you have to carry out the reforms that we want. Well, what are these reforms? These are reforms that make Greece into a more unequal country. Uh, where you know workers have less bargaining power, mm-hmm. these are the kind of reforms they want. 
And uh, so that's been their goal all along, is to change the structure of these countries. I mean, sadly, to make it more like the U.S., where we have, you know, very weak labor movement. We have wages right. barely grow for decades. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the kind of country they want everywhere in the Eurozone. Hmm. And just, I got a couple of quick questions. I know you have to go, uh, Mark Reisbach, but we've seen when hope is raised, disappointment usually follows. The other radical party in Greece is the ultra-right-wing, openly racist group, Golden Dawn. How great is the danger that they may rise if Syriza falters? I don't see, you know, there's uh, the novelist Tom Wolfe once said that uh, it's one of the great uh, puzzles of astronomy that the dark night of fascism is always descending on upon the United States and always seems to land in Europe. Yeah. And well, there's a certain so. truth to that in the sense that they get fascist political parties, like in Greece and in France, and we don't really have that kind of an organized right. uh, movement. But we don't much. want it there. And But I don't think it has that much potential there either. Uh, I think that it's really... Uh, these people are very marginal, especially in Greece. I imagine the country was occupied by the Nazis, and they're yeah. running around with you know, yeah. neo-Nazi symbols and rhetoric. What? It's just not going to... You know, they have... They got six point something percent of the vote, and I think that's really their limit. Well, I certainly uh, hope so, and, and I hope, you know, it's... As I said, the, the easy part was getting elected, and now... They have to govern and, and help the economy. And it sounds like there's ways to do it, you know, another haircut, restructuring, whatever. i got to ask, how possible do you think it is that this election of Syriza in Greece may represent an historic turning point, not just for Greece, not just for Europe, but for capitalism as it has evolved? You know, we have this centralized, supranational decision-making, you know, above any nation versus popular sovereignty. How historic do you think this may be? Well, it's a good point. I mean, we probably won't have time to go into it all, but I think that the Arizona is kind of a special case, you know. Uh, You know, I mean, you can see by the fact that our recession only lasted a year and a half, and theirs is still going on six years later. That's that's the structure of the Arizona. That's a real problem. That's so that's specific to what they did in the Eurozone, in taking away, disenfranchising, basically, the people, the voters of the Eurozone. And uh, But on the other hand, what the Eurozone Authority's uh, project has been is what we would call a neoliberal project, right. a project to change uh, capitalism to a more, uh, you know, a more right-wing form. And we've had a lot of that in the United States, oh, with yes. NAFTA and the WTO and welfare reform. We've had plenty of that, and you know, it was under Democratic as yeah. well as Republican administration. So, how does it fit in with the? And, and the, yeah, you're also mentioning the supranational yeah. control. Well, that is how these governments do the things that nobody wants, right? What's the WTO? What's NAFTA? Right. It's basically using these international treaties to impose things that people would never tolerate here. Right. It would never get past Congress if you tried to pass these laws on the national level. Instead, you have a treaty. Instead, you have a Eurozone and a European Central Bank. Instead of these governments in the low and middle income countries 
passing regressive forms. You have the IMF imposing it on them. Yes. So yeah, I think that uh, if you know, it depends which way it goes. I think if if Syriza were to exit the euro, that would be a big step towards more national uh, sovereignty and local control. Mm-hmm. It, but I don't think that's the likely outcome. I think most more likely is that Syriza is the beginning of forcing uh, the reform of the Eurozone so that it moves away from the terrible policies uh, of the last six years. And so so that's, you know, that's what we're dealing with right right there. But, you know, it has, the, the other place where your question is relevant is uh, foreign policy. Yes. Theresa is going to have a different foreign policy. They've already uh, made some statements about not wanting these uh, sanctions against Russia which are not very popular in Europe, but the governments are doing them at the, really at the behest of the United States government. Mm. And uh, that's where uh, I'm kind of worried that the U.S. will return to its historic role as the defender of the far right in Greece, where they supported uh, mm. fascism. They're not going to support the Golden Dawn, obviously. No. But they did in the past support oh, yes. uh, actual fascism in Greece just to keep Greece allied with the U.S. foreign right. policy in Absolutely. the region, and they supported a lot of repression, murder, and everything else. Yeah. So they don't—they're not going to do exactly that this time because it's not on the agenda. Hmm. But I think they very—they very well might support all kinds of opposition and destabilization efforts against Syriza, yeah, yeah. just because they're not used to having any uh, government in Europe. That really has a different foreign policy. Yeah, and we can't have too many Davids when we're the Goliath, after all. <laughs> Just can't be done. Well, it's uh, it's going to be interesting. We'll see how Syriza does, and if uh, you know, if this means a big change in in how the IMF and the other creditors do business with the developing world. You know, you think of uh, Central America and South America, and uh, will it inspire moves for actual democracy for people's you know, local control over their own economy. This is this is big stuff. This is really historic, I think. And I'm, I'm guessing uh, you agree. Mark Ricebrot, co-director of the Center for Economic and Policy Research in Washington. If people want to keep up with uh, your work, what's the uh, best website to which you can point them? Oh, just uh, CEPR.net. CEPR.net. Thank you so much for uh, providing some insight. In just a minute, we're going to be talking about uh, another policy, uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which, uh, yeah, is, is of a similar nature. Thanks again for being with us. Yes, thank you very much. We'll be right back. There's a new world to come in near Singing loud and clear Revolution Feel that rumbling along the ground It's a mighty sound Revolution It's the sound of the morning dove People all joining hands in love Sharing 
Tracy Nelson with Mother Earth from a movie called Revolution from back in 1968. Some very optimistic times. We're seeing some optimistic times in uh, Greece right now and maybe, maybe even the USA. We may get uh, oh, some burst of democracy here in the USA. What? It could happen. All right. It could happen. Well, we were talking uh, uh, just a minute ago with Mark Weisbrot about uh, economic policies that can happen in Europe because there is no democratic process that people can participate in. Well, something similar to that is happening. There's a a, a trade agreement that is very, very quiet uh, because uh, there are certain interests that don't want the people to know about the Trans-Pacific Partnership Trade Pact. I'm very pleased to have with us somebody who knows a little bit about the Trans-Pacific Partnership Trade Pact. Victor Tiffany, a writer with the Syracuse Examiner, an activist with Move to Amend, which is uh, trying to affect that awful Citizens United decision. Victor, thanks for being with us on Keeping Democracy Alive with Bert Cohen. Thanks for having me, Bert. Appreciate this opportunity to explain uh, to your audience exactly what this yeah, what is it? Uh, what is the Trans-Pacific Partnership Trade Pact, and why has it been negotiated in secret? The pack itself, probably a lot of your listeners already know about the pack, and before they hang up or change stations or yeah. go eat lunch or something, I just want to point them to a website where they can use to contact their congressman if they already know what a raw deal this is. We can do that a few times during the show. And I'll elaborate. Yes. I just want to encourage your listeners to go to www.stopfasttrack.com as the uh, channel through which you contact Congress to uh, 
oppose the fast track. We'll explain what fast track is to your listeners who don't understand, and to oppose the Trans-Pacific Partnership. That way we can keep track of the number of calls that are going to Washington. We know, for example, last week, before the actions and the popular resistance movement against the TPP really got underway, last week there were 10,000 calls to Congress going using this website. Wow. So, That's significant. Uh, yeah, we need to make that 20,000, 30,000, 50,000 a week if we're going to have a chance on uh, uh, getting this thing stopped Primarily in the House of Representatives, that's where we think we can stop it, but we may actually have to use the filibuster in the Senate to stop it there. So what is the TPP? It's the dirtiest trade deal that you've never heard of. Yeah, no wonder. Yep. So I'm going to explain a few things about it. Yes, please do. Uh, if There's a really great video on the website www expose the tpp.org mm-hmm. I'll, I'll repeat that sure. in a little bit and it has the video the dirtiest trade deal you've never heard of and it explains the number of the features about it that for example it would it would uh extend patents for medicine eliminating the possibility of generics being produced keeping uh medicines too expensive for poor people particularly those in other countries from being able to afford medicine they might need to stay healthy or even stay alive. In short, this pack will kill some people. But it's worse than that, if, if that's uh, imaginable. There's nothing, there is no action your listeners can take in the next two months that will help keep democracy alive more than organizing against the trade pack. And there's a lot of ways to do this. In, in addition to uh, using the www.stopfasttrack.com website to call Congress, you can share that website if you have, if you use Facebook or any social media. If you uh, use Twitter, you can tweet that out there and encourage your uh, followers to uh, call Congress today. That, by the way, will connect you after you after you enter your phone number and click call. Your phone will ring. And a machine uh-huh. will ask nice. you what your area uh, zip code is. You put in your zip code, and then it attaches you to your congressman. After that conversation is over in the congressman's office or woman's office hangs right. up, you can press star on your phone, and you'll go to your first senator and, and do it again after that conversation. Push star again, and you'll talk to your other senator. So it's a one-stop phone uh, wow. uh, procedure to contact all your representatives in Washington. So it's very, very useful. So who knew democracy would be that easy? Yeah, you know, <laughs> if it were only that easy. Well, why Why has the, uh, Victor Tiffany, why has the Trans-Pacific Partnership Trade Pact been called a corporate insurance plan against democracy? Yeah, I'm going to give you uh, a historical example and then a hypothetical future example to explain. Okay, good. Um Switzerland and Uruguay have a trade agreement. Okay. Philip Morris, the cigarette company, used provision in that trade agreement to sue Uruguay for lost profits because Uruguay has strong anti-smoking regulations that cut into Philip Morris's profits. No, oh, no. That's historical fact. And there's two more examples given on the uh, expose the TPP dot org 
website in that video. Mm-hmm. Uh, Germany was sued because it's after Fukushima they phased out nuclear power, and they were sued by a corporation. <laughs> so the hypothetical example is here in New York. We have a ban on hydrofracking of uh, natural gas. Sure. If the TPP goes through, a foreign corporation, drilling corporation, or, this is important, a subsidiary of an American corporation based in a foreign uh, foreign country would be able to sue New York State for profits they lost because of this uh, ban on hydrofracking. So whether it's worker protection laws, environmental protection laws, uh, any kind of safety laws, anything that a corporation deems uh, that it would that it cuts into their profits that, that be, because they can't uh, do some activity right, or right. sell some product here here either in a state the whole country uh, a county or a, a city a municipality they'd be able to sue that government entity for profits lost in a special corporate tribunal set up under the Trans-Pacific Partnership it literally undermines national sovereignty mm-hmm. and not democracy as in the, the 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 process we go through every two years to, right. in elections. Right. We'll still elect representatives, and they might pass good laws, right. but those laws will be trumped by the trade uh, the trade agreement, which, by the way, has very, very little to do with actual trade. And why is it called Trans-Pacific? It seems like it's far bigger than that, even. Well, it's all all the countries involved border on the Pacific Ocean. Uh-huh. I see. That's a lot of big countries. My uh, goodness. Yeah. <laughs> and again, uh, if you're just uh, tuning in to Keeping Democracy Alive with Bert Cohen, our guest today, Victor Tiffany, we're talking about the very, very secretive Trans-Pacific Partnership Trade Pact. How, it's been going on for a while, and how has it been kept secret? And, you know, how, tell us all about th- that process. Yeah, I'm not sure if the negotiators have to take an oath of secrecy. I'm not sure uh, how that is being kept secret. What we do know comes from three chapters that were uh, passed along to WikiLeaks and published. Oh, good for WikiLeaks, yeah. Yeah, so that's how we know uh, what we do know about three of the, I believe it's ten sections of this trade pack. Um, Some people have called it NAFTA on steroids. Uh Uh-huh, yes. And remember all the promises that were made by the proponents of NAFTA. It would produce a lot of jobs. It would create uh, great exports for American farmers. And none of those promises came through. Just take, for example, um, our trade with Mexico. We initially had a small trade surplus. And after NAFTA, Mm. we ended up with a large trade deficit resulting uh, between that and the outsourcing of American manufacturing jobs to Mexico, where the environmental regulations are much more lax, minimum, the, the wages are much lower, it is estimated that we lost anywhere from 750,000 to a million American jobs. And <clears throat> studies show that Americans who went out and found another job to replace their lost job basically took 
on the average, a greater than 20% pay cut working in some service industry or Mm -hmm. any other job that they can get their hands on. So this has led to uh, NAFTA, we're talking about, led to wage stagnation. And the Trans-Pacific Partnership would be NAFTA on steroids. It's much, much worse. So I'm just trying to to picture what can happen. I know that... uh, there was an effort uh, where this show is coming from, New Hampshire, for local people to have control over, or at least some say, in large water withdrawals. But under some agreement, I'm not sure which, uh, the European companies that were you know, taking the good spring water and selling it back in Europe, the local people had no say, couldn't participate whatsoever. So this is really an undermining of any kind of you know, economic uh, control, you know, democracy with a small d, that people can participate here. And so the TPP, it sounds like, makes this even worse. Who who benefits from the TPP? Are there, what what forces are driving it forward? And I, I, I'm, I guess it's happening in Washington as well as the other centers of financial power. Who, who's benefit from it? Corporations. Which specifically? Any... Uh, Drilling corporations, uh-huh. tobacco corporations, big pharma. Hmm. Uh, mentioned the extension of patents that would make uh, generics uh, prolong the uh, presentation or pre- uh, marketing of generics. Uh, there's a basically this is a, a corporate uh, a con- a continuation of the slow motion right. corporate coup d'état set off by hmm. the Citizens United decision. Wow. So it's it's corporate interest. Fat cats will do well, corporations will do well, and the people won't. It's not just anti-protectionism, which is what free, genuine free trade agreements in the past have been. Mm-hmm. It's it's actually a form of protectionism for the corporations. It protects oh, wow. corporate profits, wow. as you said. It's corporate insurance policy against democracy. Unbelievable! It's just. To, to think that they're they're getting away with this, and they have been. We've seen a, since Reagan got elected in 1980, a plutocratization, if I may make that word up, of the United States, of transforming us from a republic, meaning of the people, into a plutocracy, government of, by, and for the few powerful rich, which it seems to me 1776 was all about. Weren't we trying to, you know, gain control over our own future and have some uh, self-government you know, some may say this is an exaggeration, but it doesn't sound like it, it really is. What about Democratic members of Congress? Are most of them on board with this? No, there are some who are. Yeah. Uh, the process, the the hope is that the majority of the Democrats in, in the House right. who oppose this can work with some of the. Um, principled conservatives yes. in the Republican Party who understand that this will violate national sovereignty, mm-hmm. who understand that this is a raw deal for their constituents, who understand that this is uh, uh, a huge giveaway, not to American corporations per se, but to foreign corporations. Mm. Mm. Uh, they are working together, and we do believe, based on uh, discussions that took place in a conference call Sunday night, that the House is the place to try to stop this. But using the FastTrack.com website, you will 
be connected to all three. Now, if, if you happen to be in New York, are any of your listeners in New York? Do you oh, yeah, we're podcast all over the uh, entire universe. Okay, so <clears throat> for listeners in New York, it's very important to reach out to Senator Schumer. He's on that committee uh, that is discussing this trade pack. And the message is threefold. One, no to fast track. We, we should outline what fast yes, track is. Yes, I was going to the next question. No to the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And then a third message. Look, if you're talking to a Democrat, if you're going to go to Congress and vote like a Republican, then in the next election, we'll just elect a Republican hey. and have at least more honest representation yeah, really. from a corporate perspective. If you're talking to a uh, Republican, same thing, same sort of message, except not if you're going to vote like a Republican. <laughs> if you're going to vote for the corporations and not your constituents, then we will elect somebody else. Now, this is the most, most effective message in swing districts uh-huh. uh, rather than yeah. safe districts. Right, right. Uh, but it's not something that would, it's not a message that would get lost. If they hear this uh, a thousand times. Yes, absolutely. Look, we will not vote for you in the next election. Yes. This issue is that important. We will vote for someone else. Might be a Green Party, might be Libertarian, mm-hmm. it might be someone in the other main party, but we will not vote to re-elect you if you support Fast Track or the Trans-Pacific Partnership. All right, what is Fast Track? How does that work? It's an authorization that the president is asking from Congress to consider the trade agreement, and it wouldn't be just the TPP. It's all trade agreements coming forward in the next, usually it's a period of time, like five years, that Fast Track would stay in place. Mm-hmm. For, the, for that period of time, any trade agreements, and I use the word trade loosely, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. would have to be considered as an up or down vote. No modifications, no changes, nothing that congresspersons or senators could change to protect their constituents, to protect the public interest, to protect uh, workers, to protect the environment, to protect anything. It's an up or down vote. That's what makes it so dangerous. Whatever these these corporate negotiators end up coming up with, in the corporate best interest, that is what would either pass or fail with no modification. Can you imagine a fast track to get through Congress quickly? Can you imagine the founders of this country reacting to that idea? Yeah, no, it's unconstitutional. I mean, the whole idea of Senate approval of, of international agreements is to protect the American people. And it, not just up and down votes, but to modify the agreements as needed. Absolutely. Partic- they, that whirring sound in the background is are, are the framers spinning in their grave. <laughs> well, it's true. And, you know, it, it's, it seems pretty clear that, uh, you know, opposition to fast-tracking of the Trans-Pacific Partnership and others comes not only from the left, but I can imagine some groups on the right being very, very concerned about this as well. This This sounds like it would play right into you know, issues that they care very deeply about. Tell us about... I I don't have, uh, off the top of my head, uh, uh, conservative groups that are opposing this. I do have a link to it off the uh, uh, website where we posted uh, opposition information to the Trans-Pacific Partnership. So that should be on the homepage of the Amendment Gazette. Uh Somewhere in there I just make reference to People on the right are opposed to this as well, and that is a hot link to a uh, a right-wing publication that's uh, making the argument against 
fast track. I can't help but think that the energized libertarian wing, you know, who really sincerely cares about, you know, democracy and a republican form of government, there are a lot of people who are uh, up in arms and... uh, uh, there's a good name here that I can imagine a, a lot of uh, people on the right would go for, something called Pitchforks Against Plutocracy. Tell yeah. us about that and, and their involvement. Well, the reason Pitchforks Against Plutocracy is opposing uh, this is, this, I basically already said it, there's nothing more important to do yeah. in the next two months. We're not going to end plutocracy in the next two months. Move to Amend is putting out uh, a mailing uh, about this same reason. We're not going to amend the Constitution in the next two months, but in the next two months, we can stop the TPP. So for pitchforks against uh, plutocracy, I love the name. we've determined that this is uh, the uh, line in the sand. This is the fight that we have to fight in the coming uh, mm-hmm. two months, and this is going to be a two-month struggle uh, if we're going to defeat this thing. Now, your listeners hopefully will go to the stopfasttrack.com website and call Congress. But more important than that is to share that information. There's a lot of ways to do that. Letters to the editor can be used to encourage people to uh, call their congresspersons. Um, What what came out in a conference call last Sunday, it's a call organized by a woman named Liz Warren, not the senator. she had Margaret Flowers, who's one of the oh, yes. two main organizers of popular resistance, on the call last Sunday. But somebody show. in the conversation pointed out that so far, op-eds are being censored. If you write what? a guest op-ed for a newspaper, a corporate newspaper, they are not accepting it at oh, this my. point. Oh, but, my. but you can get letters to the editor through. Uh-huh. Uh, that's one thing you could do in... Plenty of information as to uh, what to write on the exposethetpp.org website. Uh-huh. You get your talking points there. Probably a good idea to watch that short video before you call Congress or write a letter to the editor. And something else you can I mean, there's a lot of ways to organize against this. You can have a protest at your congressman's office mm-hmm. during, I believe it's President's Week, coming up here in February. Uh-huh. I can't think of the dates exactly, but... They're encouraging visits to your congressman at that time or protest out mm-hmm. in front of his office if There's it's revealed that he or she supports right. Fast Track or right. the TPP. Right. You can do sort of political type activity, that is electioneering. Yes. We uh, did a massive door to door leafleting effort during the last uh, congressional race here in the 20, New York's 23rd District. And, and I'm not suggesting, you know, handing out hundreds of flyers, it's, it gets quite time consuming. But you could certainly whip up a flyer, a half page flyer or a full-page flyer, and just take it around your neighborhood and drop it. Uh, and the, the information can be got from which website would you suggest? The, the informational website is www.exposethetpp, all one word, exposethetpp.org. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. That has a short video, gives you plenty of talking points to use. i got to ask you. Yeah. In his State of the Union address, President Obama claimed that the TPP would increase jobs. Why is Obama supposedly a, I don't know about a progressive, at least a moderate, why is he pushing this? What's the story with Obama? First of all, remember that the proponents for NAFTA said the same thing. (laughs) I don't know if he truly believes this, but we have 20 years of NAFTA data under our belts that show uh, that the proponents were just wrong about that. And this, this deal is actually worse. Now, to your question. 
Yeah, what's with Obama? He did not get elected president of the United States because of massive amounts of small contributions. Right. He had bundlers. He had fat cats. He had corporate interests and Wall Street interests backing him, both in 2008 and less so, but still in 2012. Sure. Right? In 2008... He was the candidate of hope and change. A lot of us believed that he he was yeah, well. definitely going to be a progressive. Yeah, well. By 2012, <laughs> it became evident that uh, we were back to the lesser of two evil mm. type mm-hmm. choice. Gosh. Now, why? You might watch the movie, if you can get your hands on it, Pay to Play. Okay. These people who funded his campaigns in the past are waiting for their payback. Yeah. He's not a progressive. He talks no, like a progressive. He yeah. campaigns like a progressive. He's given a lot of speeches that sound progressive. Right. But he's not. And for many of us who either didn't support him from the beginning because maybe they were voting for the Green candidate, they were to his left, mm. or they were supporting him and they've come to recognize that the president is really not with us, he's really not a progressive, no. they come to realize that He's a very, very slick fraud. It's tough to say that, but, you know, you look at where the power is and who he actually serves, aside from the the nice words. uh, Victor, you must be amazed when people call him a socialist. What, a socialist for Wall Street? I mean, that's that's the... Yeah, a corporate socialist. Oh, my, corporate socialist. That's all it is. All that was uh, deceitful propaganda coming from the right because, uh, you know, a Democrat was elected, basically. Yes, and don't forget, uh, his skin was a slightly different color. Yeah, I think that, let's face it, plays into it as well. Well, can't say the website often enough that people need to go to to stop this thing, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Yeah, the uh, informational website is www.exposethetpp, all one word, mm-hmm. .org. Mm-hmm. That's where you'll get your talking points from the short little video, the dirtiest trade deal you've never heard of. And then uh, when you... Go to call Congress and convey to people to call Congress. Use the www.stopfasttrack.com and uh, put your phone number in there and click the call button and you'll get a phone call back. And share that because that's how we track the numbers of people who are calling Congress. When all is said and done, we will be able to say at some point, like just before the vote, look, we've had... 1.7 1.7 million calls come in in opposition to this, or 2.5 million. And it's real important to use your social media networks to yes, spread the absolutely. word using those two websites and, and, and encourage other people to get involved in this. It's the only way we're going to stop this uh, continuation of the corporate coup d'etat that uh, mm. uh, Citizens United very much... Uh, not necessarily set in motion, but it, accelerated. It certainly did accelerate it, and people actually still can make a difference. Citizens can make a difference because no matter how much money they throw at the uh, members of Congress and the president, they still have to depend on each individual voting. And then when they hear from us, it absolutely makes a difference. Yeah, they, the only power we have is the voting power, and it's, it, it's not a lot, but if you make it very clear to them, that this is very important to you, mm-hmm. and if you vote to support Fast Track, if you vote to support the Trans-Pacific Partnership, you will not be getting my vote 
in the next election. And if they hear that over and over and over again, the one thing they want to have, the one thing they want is to be reelected. That's what they spend most of their time in Washington doing, off Capitol Hill, across the street into their special private calling booth, Uh dialing for dollars. They want to get reelected. Right. We still have the power. We are. They want us to believe we're powerless. We are not powerless, not at all. Victor Tiffany, thank you so much for being with us, and uh, let's keep it going forward and, and protect the freedom and democracy that the founders of this country really intended for us. Thank you, Victor Tiffany. Right on. Thank you for having me. Thank you. It's about freedom, folks. It really is. Email me, bert at bertcohen.com. Thanks for listening to Keeping Democracy Alive. You got my pride hanging out of my bed. You mess with my life, so I bought my lid. Even mess with my children, and you're screaming at my wife and get off of my bed. If you wanna get out of here alive, freedom, that's what I want now. Don't man, what I don't need it now. I'm just trying to slap it out of her.